I'm Angelique Rocher, and this is Marvel's Voices. What can one say about Tony Award-winning actor, dancer, director, freestyler that is James Monroe Iglehart? While a lot of people do know him from his performances in Aladdin, I mean, the man won a Tony Award for it, now he's taking on a dual role as the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson in Hamilton. And now he can actually add one more, if not 12 more things, that list of amazing titles that he has, which is writer for a comic book. In fact, James Monroe Iglehart came out last month, March 27th, with his first ever comic book written project. He actually did one of the stories that was included in Marvel Comics Presents number three, which features Crusher Hogan and Peter Parker. You know, me and my mom watch the Tony Awards every single year. We love it to death. And yes, I I love when people get awards, but you watch the Tony Awards for the performances. And James Iglehart's performance of a friend like me at the Tony's was seared in my mind because it was so much fun. So I know James Iglehart seeing his work that he had done in Memphis and and all these other things that had ended up on PBS and on YouTube. But I remember James Iglehart the most of being mesmerized by this man of color with this beautiful voice that looked like he was having the time of his life on stage. I knew he was a consummate performer. Like, he just truly loved telling stories. He's also just a really huge nerd. Let's let's be real. If you follow his Instagram or his Twitter and you see his, his photos from his dressing room or his images at Disney World or even the videos he shares about old 80s cartoons, like, he's... He's the real deal. This is James Monroe Iglehart's story. I read your story about the fact that Ragtime was your first musical that you saw with... On Broadway, yes. On Broadway, yes. on Broadway. And Rent was actually my first like live musical. Like yes. I was the kid who sang musicals in my bedroom, I did drama. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so I have to make a small confession. My first Broadway musical was Aladdin. What? My first Broadway musical was actually Aladdin. So Seriously? I moved to D.C., but I never came up to New York to do it. And then finally when I moved to New York, it's a horrible story, but I was on a first date and yeah. I was like, yeah, I've, you know, I love musicals. And I was even like singing musicals out loud because I did musical theater, love karaoke. And he was like, you've never been to a Broadway musical. And we go to dinner and he's like, oh, we're just going to walk. And next thing you know, we're at the theater and it's center balcony tickets <laughs> to see Aladdin and you were still in it. Yes. And so my first Broadway musical was you. Okay. That's a whole different thing. Thank you very much for it that. Was I mean, no, great. you always said that's 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 kind of dope. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> I was like, I can't have him in here and just not tell him that because for me, it was just so great because I was a kid who dreamed of being in Broadway musicals. Um, I wanted to be in Cats because I was not? obsessed with Andrew Lloyd Webber as of a kid. Of course, yes. And then I remember BMG Music Club had Ragtime, and I'd never heard of it, never heard of it before. Yes. And I got it, and it was the first time, besides Amos Behaven on PBS. Yes. Because that was... 
Listen, um, I the fact that I can honestly say that I know Andre DeShields, he was doing a show, saw me in the audience. Actually, that's not true. I met Andre DeShields. We were doing, in 2009, we did The Wiz at the City Center. And it was amazing. And then we're backstage and they say, Andre DeShields is here. And Andre literally floats. This man floats. <laughs> Floats. He floats and he goes, I just want to say that I am so proud of all of you. I did this show many years ago and I just want to say, looking at it just brings back memories. And we were like, that's Andre DeShields. And one day I'm sitting in another show. He sees me from the stage. He's like, it was a, a different version of Tartuffe, this Moliere play, yeah. and like a musical version. He walks through the audience. He goes, ladies and gentlemen, in front of me is a young performer named Jays Monroe Eigelhart. He's going to be big someday. And I was like, oh my God. So, Because <laughs> that's what you do. Seriously. Because like, you just, your story is so vivid that I just literally like see him floating well, into a room. I, my but... senior year of college at Cal State University Hayward, which is now uh, Cal State East Bay, my senior thesis was Eight Misbehaving. So stop. Yes. So I. What was the thesis? I, I I was a directing major. I was an acting directing major, and so I decided because you have directed my, before, right? So I wanted to do my last piece. I wanted to direct it, and I, I wanted to do something different. I wanted to do something conceited. I directed it, and I was starting it. So I was I played the Ken Page role, and the fun part was I to study for it. I auditioned for this this small theater, or California Conservatory Theater, out in San Leandro. Mm -hmm. uh, Dick Vetterly, I love you guys. Thank you. Um, and Kim Vetterly, they hired me, my first job. I got paid $200 a week, and I thought I was living, girl. You couldn't tell me nothing. Hey, I was like, $200 hey. a week? I can get an extra piece of bacon on my burger. You know, so I, <laughs> so I auditioned for that, got in, and um, read all about the show. I yeah. uh, studied the show, watched the PBS version, because, you know, to have that original cast on TV I, PBS would, would, would change your changed life. Changed everything for me. Being able to see, like, I couldn't have seen cats being in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, right. but you know the fact that you had places like PBS who were sponsoring yes. and paying for these things to be brought to the rest of the world was phenomenal to us. So full circle, see the show on PBS, do the show at the Conservatory Theater, produce and direct the show at my college. So happy, go out into the real world. Years later, I'm in a show called Memphis, and they tell us, hey, not only are we going to film your show to put in the theaters for The Phantom, this show is also going to be on great performances on PBS. So being that kid who got to see all those shows on PBS, got to turn around and be in a show on that was PBS. on PBS. And I've had kids who have seen it. Fun story. My first mulligan, a guy by the name of J.Q. Johnson, who is now in Choir Boy. He was, when I got into Hamilton, he was my mulligan. I met him outside while he was signing autographs. He looks at me and starts screaming Memphis references at me. And he says, man, we studied you in school. And I was like, this boy's too young. I know he means high school, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna I'm to accept it. it. I'm he says, like, yeah, man, um, they, they, they showed us the DVD that they showed on PBS. That was his first, he was in Texas. And that was his first introduction into the, into the show Memphis because Teacher saw it on TV, got the DVD, like they always sell it, yeah. and then they, they played it. So complete full circle, and now I'm on stage with a kid who watched it. This has been nothing but of a blessing of a career and a life, and now I'm sitting here at Marvel with you. Hi! So come on. I Yo, mean, this, it, look. You can't, you, it, doesn't, it doesn't get better than this. But so many points of your life, it seems, from, from what I 
what I gathered, start at a very key pinnacle point. Your dad was an actor. Yes. Your mom was a a choir performance. Mm-hmm. Yes. You met your wife in performance yes. choir. Like everything centered around this concept of performing and entertaining. Yes. And I get it. You started singing at four, but what was it like? You could have done were, anything. Yes, but there was there, there was something about being in front of people and making them laugh and making them smile. That was cool. But there was also this inner egotistical moment of they like me. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, I think I any, <laughs> anybody anybody who's in front of a camera, anybody who is does any kind of art. I said this to some friends the other day. I said anybody who does any kind of art is really looking for someone to say I like you. And they and no and, and the minute people get big or get famous and that's when they start doing I do it for the art. I do it for the to be able to say something. No, you're doing it so someone can look at you and say, I like that. Because those same people who say, I do it for the art, when someone goes, I don't understand it, they go, you don't get what I'm trying to do. It's like, no, they don't. They <laughs> no. don't get what you're trying to do. You basically took a white canvas, put a dot up there, and now I'm supposed to go, oh, I see infinity. No, I see a dot up there. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> really, we're all trying you know, to have somebody say, I like you. And I was trying to find different places to do it. Yeah. And my imagination was large. And I loved cartoons. I loved uh, comic books. I loved yeah. theater. I loved professional wrestling. I loved the Harlem Globetrotters. You but really it all goes do. back to this form of entertainment. What yeah. to do in front of people. I knew at an early age that me, James Monroe Iglehart, behind a desk in a nine to five was death. That was not going to happen. So I had to find some way. So I've abled my career of almost 20 years. I've been able to do all the things I want to do. I've done voices for cartoons. You have. I have been on Broadway. I have done done TV. (laughs) I have done a movie that hasn't come out yet. Probably would not. I don't know. Hopefully. Um, um, I have now written a comic book. It's so interesting to me that there's these little bitty pieces of influence, right? These little bitty moments. While you love to perform, you're also like a freestyler. You also rap because those are two very different things. Yes. You got to be very clear. Yes. Is it that you just are hungry? Like you just love to create? I I, I do. Also, you're also trying to find what's that thing that's going to make people say that's that dude. You know what (laughs) I mean? And when you're younger, you're trying to find it. And I, I tried to play ball. I did, but I'm I'm I am that black guy with no b ball skills. I could do a five six seven eight. Yo, I've seen I've I can do seen a you five dance. six seven eight. It's, but if you turn if you take the numbers out and just put a weave and say do a weave with a basketball, I will look like Dick Van Dyke at the beginning of his show. For all you younger folks, uh, you uh, go on YouTube and Google Dick Van Dyke intro, um, and you'll see me fall over. The, I'm serious. It I am horrible, but you put a beat on and music, and I can do it all, and that. Once I realized that's what it was, I wanted to do anything that had to do with it. So if it was singing or rapping or dancing or voiceovers, because I loved all the voices, you know, listening to James Earl Jones be um, to do Darth Vader or turn around, listen to Jim Cummings do uh, not only Darkwing Duck, but all the different people that he that he does or or Cree Summer. Let girl listen. And every time she steps on for anything, she's 100 percent. She's 100 percent in it. I mean, she is, and there there are certain people who they say, I'm in the voiceover world, they call them the the voiceover actors, and then they call them the the guest star voiceover actors. Those are people who are like famous actors who step in. Yeah. Cree Summers is a voiceover artist. That's what she does. 
And when you think about the people of color that do it, like Phil Lamar, Kevin Michael Richardson, mm -hmm. who is the first mm. black, the first black Joker, but also any it, you can look up. He's also Groot uh, on you know on the Guardians of the Galaxy. Any cartoon you know of, look up Kevin Michael Richardson. He's there and Cree yeah. Summer. I mean, these are artists of color that I went looking for and was like, who who's doing it that looks like me? Because I just want to make sure there are people out there to do it. Well, and I think that's another thing that I, I really wanted to kind of talk about is I know and I remember growing up and loving Broadway and, and loving Cabaret and loving, you know, Chicago and and not seeing me. Yeah. You know, not seeing me. On, and that's actually why I, I gravitated so much to Ain't Misbehaving. I gravitated so much to Ragtime. And this idea of being able to go, not only do you look like me, you don't look like the stereotypical, yes. very small, ballerina-sized right. person. You look, like, you look like a real person. Like a human being. Like a human being. Because what's funny is we there, there's, there's, a, there's a Hollywood look, and then there's a real look. And the real look is just as attractive. It's just that we've put this uh, stigma or whatever it is on the what the real look is. And while people don't really want to see that, they like that. They don't want to see that. Yes, they do. Because mm -hmm. when you see real, it makes you want to go out and, and get it. And one of the things I, I adore about your social platform, about how you answer things, about how you kind of move about in the world is this hashtag, it happens to us all. But I do adore the fact that you allow yourself to be relatable and understand that you aren't perfect and that it's okay. And that that actually, I think, inspires more people. Well, I, I love comedy. I think what's funny is when you, there's a couple ways to look at life. Yeah. You can look at life like, oh my God, it's happening to me. Or you can go, you know, life is funny and... It's my father used to say to me, he goes, look, you could, you know, you got to live life or you could just die. Did you just pull out a Texas accent yeah, right there? My, that's the, oh, dad. your dad's like, from you, Texas. Yeah. Mm -hmm. like, you, you could just die. What, what, what are you going to do? I was like, well, dad, life's hard. Yeah. What, what, what just died then? And he would say that. And you say it to a 10 year old kid, like, that's kind of harsh. But then you go, well, I could, I don't want to die. So I guess I got to figure out how the hell to get out of here. I guess I'll, I guess I'll pick myself up and um, that's what I'll do. I'll, it'll be funny. It, it, and it becomes a funny story. Yeah. You know, and if you look, whenever you look back on life, you can look back and eyes, oh my God, that terrible thing happened to me. Or you can go, there was this one time. At band camp? It, exactly. And, <laughs> and what's funny, and it turns into a funny story. It all depends on how you look at life. And my mm. wife has taught me that as well. My wife is six foot four. She is With very no tall. shoes on. She's very tall. And... When you are living your life as a tall, thick woman, being my childhood has nothing on hers. Mm. People are cruel. And she has heard everything under the sun about her height, every stupid joke, how's the air up there, Jolly Green Giant Sister, all that kind of crap when she was a kid. She is the smartest woman I know. And I don't say that just because she's my wife. She is an actual scientist, <laughs> the biologist. You know what I mean? Oh. So she's the one that said, she said, you know, I could believe what those people say or I could think they're all stupid and I'm the right one and live my life. And that's kind of how, we're, you know, it's kind of like that or we just or just die. You either can believe the things that people say and tell them you're not perfect or you could think they're stupid. 
I'm just going to live my life and I'm going to live my life to the fullest and have fun. And when you have fun and when you have a good energy about you, people want to be around that. People don't really want to be around negative people. So and why be negative? It's just it's just there's such a big weight with it. And in this business, I love performing. So I knew going in, it was going to be a thing about, you know, be being big. Everybody in my family is in shape. My father's in shape. My brother is a physical trainer. My cousin is a buff brother. Everybody is in shape but me. But while they were in the gym working on their muscles, I was in the church and in the room working on my vocal muscles. So we all worked out. It's just what you want to work out. I worked out my voice, and I worked out this dazzling smile. And also, it was like, oh, man, big boys can be sexy. Everybody, every girl don't want to be hugging up against, like, a rock. Some of them want a little, want a little softness when they hug up. So for all the soft boys, you know, I represent. The swagger that just came out, like, right there. So this is also, like, a really interesting thing is, like, you do freestyle. Yeah. Which I think is amazing. I did performance poetry when I was younger, and I always was just amazed when people were in ciphers and just going and getting it. You also have like a history again with this amazing, friendly, like air that you have, even with the folks who started Hamilton. Yeah. Like, and it's such a close circle. You know, do you feel like one that really like karaoke, clearly? Yes. Helps you with your confidence in college. Yes. That freestyle also has been something. Because I know you freestyled a little bit as Genie. I, I, yes. They let, they let me have some fun, um, you know, messing around, you know, to improv, stuff like that. It is, it is confidence building because you're, you're out there without a net. And mm. if you can do it, it just builds your confidence up. You know, what, what can you do without a net? you know, to make people forget the fact that you don't look like everybody else, but you tell somebody, yo, I don't need your help. I'm going to come through with the rhymes from my mind. Maybe it might change the time that you see yourself in the mirror. Maybe you want to do something different. Maybe get nearer to the thing inside your soul to let you know that you have control over what you know. So don't worry about the rest of the world, girl. Be your own girl. You understand? It's all inside of you. The only way you could do it is if you're cool to you. You know what I mean? I do. I do exactly know what you mean. <laughs> You know, I actually interviewed Dan Fogler a couple of months ago, and you and Dan actually have a lot in common on the nerd side in that he's, you know, <laughs> written comic books before, yeah. and here you are at Marvel. I know. In if this you, place. If you'd, have told, if you'd have told 16-year-old me that I would get to write a Spidey short, I'd have told you out of your mind. When I mean, did you get into comic books? I got into comic books when I was real young because I was, as you know, I'm a huge Batman fan. But <laughs> my my dear my dear friend John Long, he is like my big brother, seriously, mm-hmm. and he's the one that schooled me on. He was like, "Yo, all you read is one thing. Let me show you. You're, there's a whole world of comics you don't know anything about." And he's the one that introduced me to Marvel. And I knew Spider-Man <laughs> from, of all places, Spider-Man and his amazing friends. I also mm. knew Spider-Man from the, the old 1967. <laughs> Spider-Man. You know, love that. So, oh, Spider-Man uh, point. Yes, love that. That, 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 that <laughs> theme will just get, get you hyped. You always know how old somebody is if that song comes on. If you go, Spider-Man. And the people go, yeah, you go, old person. Because you were around when the cartoon came out. <laughs> <laughs> either old person or young person who's dead is old <laughs> you know, you know, either True. way either way if you know it there's somebody old around you you are a retro so uh 
that's all I knew. But for him to break me into the comics, you know, by the time I got into it, uh, Secret Wars was coming out. Yeah. And that's where Spider-Man got the symbiote suit for the first time. But all we knew was it was a black suit. You know, that's where, you know, the Hulk and... Um, the Hulk could actually speak because Peter David was writing him. And so he became, he was the Green Hulk with his mind, but also Grey Hulk, Mr. Fix-It, you know, Joe Fix-It. So, I mean, I got into comics around that time when when the most popular comic in the world, the comic character, was Wolverine. I mean, he was, Oh, Logan. who is he? What does he do? How come, what is it? Is it Weapon X or is it Weapon 10? I mean, what what is in his head? <laughs> What's going on? How come nobody knows? How come Scott's letting him so close to Gene and not slapping the living hell out of him? What's going on? I you have know a lot I mean? of feels about Gene. I'm like, really, Scott? I have, actually, you know, let me tell you, happening, let me, let me tell you something right now. I have feelings about Scott, not Gene. I got feelings about Scott Summers. You are the leader of one of the baddest superhero teams arguably ever created in the world handed to you by one of the most powerful mutants on earth and all you can do is complain your your squad is so deep angel beast Iceman, Marvel Girl, Storm, Jubilee. You've got everybody and you're worried because your girl is looking at the short dude you can blast people with your eyes. So what? He can heal. He'll be out for a good 10 hours. Y'all can get on the blackbird and fly away before the brother can catch you. But no, you went, Gene, I think we should discuss. We ain't discussing nothing. We've been together for 20 years. Girl, get your behind in the car. Let's go. <laughs> what are you doing? You're going to give a little short partner a chance to talk? Nah, nah, man. Look, you are tall, dark, and handsome, and you can blast people with your eyes. Wolverine shouldn't have stood a chance. Now, I know Wolverine fans going to be mad at me. Wolf ain't got no game. Wolf will do. Gina, yeah. What, what's, 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 the, what's the hook? Um... I, I forgot it. Dang, I, this, the hook of what he said, what, what I do, I, what I do is not very good. But you know, you know the, yes. the, the, the catchphrase, the catchphrase yes. that Wolverine had. I'm like, <laughs> Scott Summers' catchphrase should be, baby, I, I lead the X-Men. I fly the plane. See these eyes? Mic drop. Wolf should have said shit. The fact that he was complaining all this time. And then when I, when I finally got to like the, the last Phoenix story where he became the Phoenix and killed everybody, I was so mad. I was like, really, Scott? We're still dealing with this, huh? 30 years. Still uh, still, still a little, got a little chip on your shoulder, Scott? Still a little upset? Still a little, still a little mad? G's not even here and you're still, you, you're, with, you're with Emma Frost? Another five woman who wears almost nothing and you're still, still pissed off, huh, Scott? What do you want, Scott? We don't know. No one knows what Scott wants. I have deep feelings about Scott Summers. I, yo, <laughs> I, we're going to talk about this <laughs> after the show. Um, <laughs> so how did you get into Spider-Man? Um, actually, um, you mean the, the writing it or the No, the, the actual like getting into Spider-Man. Actually getting into it, uh, that was John Long. John, John again. Yeah, John got John. me. John got me into Spidey, and he was like, "Yo, you." And he goes, "The cartoons are one thing, but read like read Peter Parker." And when I got into um, Spectacular Spider-Man, and then Amazing Spider-Man, then Peter Parker Spider-Man, what was cool about it was Peter. I, I know a lot of people have said this, and I hope it doesn't sound too cliche. Peter was a kid like me who had yeah. powers, but still couldn't get the girl. Peter was the kid in your class. Like, yeah. No, no, no. I, and I, I'm absolutely. He answered the questions. I absolutely agree. And the bully. And what's funny is nothing like everybody. Everybody always says if you have a bully, you were like, man. If remember when, when we were kids, ninjas were big. Well, yes. if I knew ninjutsu, that bully wouldn't mess with me. 
Yep. Man, if I had powers, that bully wouldn't mess with me. Now you have powers and you can't beat up the bully because you'll kill him. So you still have to get bullied. You Flash. can whoop Flash Thompson all night Flash long. Flash gets to live another day. And you know you can whoop him, but you can't. Because it was it's something, unfair. It was something about that, but it was also fun watching him, you know, go through those things. Yeah. Deal with, you know, Doc Ock, who's another brilliant person, or, you know, Deal deal with, you know, um, his friend, Harry, yeah. who's going through something. Deal yeah. with MJ. You know, deal with Gwen. Yeah. To deal with those characters. To deal to have an aunt who, who loves you. Don't get me wrong. I have both parents. Yeah. But there were a lot of kids who, who didn't have both parents at home. A lot, of, a lot of kids of color who were being raised by their aunt or their grandmother. Yeah. And we all sat back and were like, yo, Peter under Peter gets it. Peter Peter understands. Peter 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 knows what's going on. Yeah. When they created that character, I don't think they knew what of impact it was going to have on kids. And also, you have to admit, there's nothing like being able to talk mess so well. Yo, and Peter his quips is are dope. The best I mean, Peter, thing ever. Peter can whoop a brother. It, I think one of my favorite, the, my new, my new favorite. I have, I had many, but one of my new ones was in the Superior Spider-Man that Dan Slott wrote. When Peter finally got back in his, in his, in his body, and uh, the Green Goblin looks at him and goes, he goes, "You're not Peter." He goes, "Ah, it, it is me." And obviously, you're still walking around with a woman purse. And and Green Goblin's like, "It is you," because Peter said something. You know, the, you know, Doc Ock didn't quit. He just fought. The fact that Peter had to say something before he whooped his behind was awesome to me. And that those you those kind of things. Yeah, you you can't help yourself. You just well, gotta. And I will have to say, I have read your story. Oh no! What did you think? Why did we choose Crusher Hogan? <laughs> now look, I know you I know I know you love wrestling. I get it. Uh, you and Ryan Panagos and wrestling, it yes, is a kinship yes, 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 that yes, I will yes. that no one yes, no, no one yes, can no, tear no, apart. No, they cannot. Um, um but I think, you know, understanding that Marvel Presents is really paying this homage to the 80th and that March is the 60s, yes. having the golden boy of the 60s in there was a big thing but i i talked to your editor i talked to chris mm -hmm. and i was like chris you know did you did you give him something he was like no he was i just said a spider-man story and he the, decided the fun thing is my father always told me write what you know be be able to write as well as you speak and speak as well as you write and write mm. what you know and so um, I told this story before. I was literally on the stage doing Hamilton because I had had I had had lunch with Chris and Jordan about it, and they said write a Spidey story. I said cool, and I walked away so excited. And halfway down the street, I went, "Oh snap! I gotta write a Spidey story." <laughs> um, gotta think of something. What am I gonna think about? Okay, okay. Um, I know Spider swings. No, they've already done that. Uh, he jumps off. No, no, that's stupid. He meets this girl. No, there's too many women. He got um his aunt. No, he's a grown man now. Let's think. Um, can't mess up the continuity. They said keep it real cool. Like, what do you know? What do you know? So I am in the surround on that little on the turntable, and we're going around and we're going. You know, in the greatest city, in the greatest city, in the what do you know? What do you know? What do you know? I know wrestling. I know wrestling. I know. I know exactly what I'm going to write. By the end of the Hamilton show. I had the plot written. How do you wait? Wait, wait, time out, time out, time yeah. out, time out, time out. 
How many things can your brain do at one time? Because that's a lot. Only three. Because if, if cause here's only, the thing. Th- only if, three. For anyone who has seen Hamilton. Yes. You already have to play two roles. Yes. You are already the Marquis de Lafayette yes. and Thomas Jefferson. Yes. And there's a lot, you know, Thomas Jefferson. Yes, yeah, a, lot a lot of lyrics. Just a lot of lyrics. Yes. There's a lot of dancing. You, mm-hmm. you rap very fast. Thank you very much. You do a lot of the walking the, the, up and the, down the, the stairs. Downstairs. Yes, I do. And somehow. Somehow, and there were there are moments where I am on stage, which is a terrible thing to tell people. There are moments where you're on stage where like you're a part of the ensemble and so when those moments where I was part of the ensemble my brain was on the spider short and I was like okay um, he's gonna yeah wrestling that's cool the one thing that seems to be a, uh, a motif in Spider-Man's life is not that he'll never be happy he'll, he will be happy but life is going to happen to Spider-Man and he uh-huh. has to always deal with the fact that from the moment he put on the mask his regular life, he's going to have to give up something. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. The X-Men go through things. The Avengers go through things. But that particular character of Spider-Man, mm-hmm. whoever puts on that mantle, there's a target. Mm. And I think when Peter meets Crusher the first time, yeah. all he's doing is trying to find a way to see what his powers can do. Like, he literally doesn't even have a name at this point. He, he's the spider. That's all he's thought of. Gets in, the, gets in the ring, and he has to last three minutes. He beats him. Gets the money, and we all know that the rest is history. You know, people lose wives yeah, and houses. people lose wives. Right. So, what happens to Crusher? I read about it. I, I looked up. There, there was a blurb on the Marvel comic thing that yeah, said... Yeah, he becomes a custodian He becomes a, a custodian and a janitor, finds out someone's trying to kill Spider-Man, and he helps him. But... In every person, there's this little bit of regret of what I didn't do. Mm. Especially when you think about there's you can you can you can you can get over it, but you never forget it. You never you can get over the defeat, and it, it and it takes a long time to get over sometimes. But you always kind of unfortunately remember it because it stays with you. It's like a stain. You have to every day, you know, reaffirm that it's okay. It's okay. It's yes, I lost. It's okay. I'll lose, but I won. I've won. It's okay. In this story, um, this spell takes that stain and makes it bigger. Crusher decides uh, he doesn't know what's happening, but he decides I have to go after the one guy that made the rest of my life awful, and it's Spider-Man. And then Spider-Man has to deal with the fact that oh my gosh, why everybody I've touched. Something bad happens. Something bad happens. But I also really, 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 really wanted to work with Dr. Voodoo. And that was, that was actually what I was going to ask. I was like, as I'm reading the story, I'm like, okay, we're back with Crusher. We're in the ring at Madison Square Garden. And then I was like, Dr. Voodoo? Because I'm from Louisiana. Dr. Voodoo has a special place in my heart. I was just like, okay, let's see where this goes. Why Dr. Voodoo? Because I am a nerd and I have a thing for magic and Dr. Voodoo is a brother, the second most powerful mage, magician, magic user in all of Marvel. We all know who the Sorcerer Supreme is. But the number two guy, the guy who has been Sorcerer Supreme before, and if I have any way around it, will probably be again, (laughs) Dr. Voodoo. And I thought his story was so cool. Yeah. And the fact that here's a guy who your family says, this is what we're doing. And you say, 
No, I ain't doing that. I'm going to go get my education and be somebody. Not that not that this all this magic isn't cool, dad. This is great. But I'm going to be I'm I'm going to go out over here and and make a living. And your family pulls you back. But also it's a very it's a story of I, sometimes we as black folks, we mm-hmm. get caught up into what's a black story, what's a white story. Mm-hmm. It's a very human story. Yep. If you have a family that does one thing and you decide to break off and do something else, there's always someone in the family that wants to bring you back. And when you come back, there's also a little guilt for leaving. Yeah. Yes, you've made it, but you feel guilty. Dr. Voodoo comes back and when he sees what happens with, you know, with his brother and everything, he's like, okay, I got to fix this. But I got to fix it my way. Mm. I got to use the things that I know here and bring it back to fix it my way. And if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it my way. And I'm going to help the family. But it's definitely going to be the way I see it, whether they agree or not. And there was something about that that got me. And also the fact that Dr. Voodoo is just badass. I mean, he's got a dope design. And the fact that he can use both the light magic and the dark magic for a good thing. It, it, dug, it, it, it got me. And, it was, and he's a character I really wanted to work with. Mm-hmm. So when they gave me the option to work with Spider-Man, I said, great, do you mind if I throw in Dr. Voodoo? Did you actually go, do you mind? Yes, great. I did. And they were like, <laughs> and they literally were like, yeah. is he doing anything right now? Is he, where, where is he at? Yep. Yeah, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> and I was like, cool. So Is he I, otherwise occupied? Right. And so I, you know, I, I threw him in and um And Dr. Druid. And Dr. Druid, because I was also looking for a reason for um, you know, there to be this reason for him to attack Spider-Man. So I created this spell that gives you um immortality. But you need the heart of a spider to do it. So so how do you feel about with your love of magic? Yes. Um how do you feel about creating your own spell? I, I feel really cool about it, actually. It was, I literally went on the internet and I was scouring for um, voodoo things and also Celtic gods. I have, what's funny is, is that there's a whole edit in the story that's not there because, you know, you only have 10 pages. But I had a whole thing about Dr. Druid being c- connected to uh, Celtic gods which is why he could only come back as a half-life because there's a God that could give you back your life, but he wasn't strong enough to get all of that, which is, I put her name in there too. And um, we had to cut it, we had to cut it down. So there was going to be this battle between, you know, uh, Dr. Voodoo and Dr. Druid about this whole thing, you know, his Celtic gods. Voodoo. Loa versus yes, yeah. the Celtic gods. Because, and, and, you know, and you need the Book of Sins because I love that book. I think it's awesome. I think that book is so... So crazy because it does so many things and it's so whoever touches it is just jacked, but it's awesome. It's like, <laughs> it's like you're you're you want to touch it, but you know your life is messed up if you do. But <laughs> so that's that's why I did it. So in in all of this, just what was the most challenging thing about putting the story together? Um, honestly, yeah, I have been writing for a long time, and I have been writing in my head for even longer. And I, you know, because you, I write a lot in my head and then I go, oh, that's not good. I'm not going to do that. I think the most challenging thing was getting out of my own way. Mm. Getting out of my own way and saying, okay, just write it. If they dig it, they dig it. If they don't, they don't. It's nothing you can do about it. Hopefully they dig it. And if they do, great. If they don't, we'll just move on to the next thing. So that was the biggest thing. I would write something and I go, no, that's stupid. That's totally stupid. That's not going to work. Because I had some, I had some help and I want to give a shout out to those guys. I had some great help from Dan Slott 
who is a legend. And and so lovely. And another legend who I love, and he's been so sweet to me since the day I met him, Peter David. I sent an email to them and I said, guys, I have this, I got this shot. Um, how do I put my ideas? I know how to do it, but how do I how do I do it? And they could have easily, easily said, uh, just do this, this, and this. Each one of them wrote out this. <laughs> book of like how to do it and all the things not to do don't write too much because your artist needs to draw things um make sure if you're going to do this put it here put it here put it here don't 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 do this don't do that don't they gave me this basically this how to and i was like okay cool cool great so i took that and i i've written stuff before so i knew what to do but just having that knowledge of going okay i'm not stupid i was right because they were they were basically just confirming all the things that I, I knew. Mm-hmm. So it was cool to have someone say, no, you're on the right track. Just, you know, I wouldn't say this because that's too much. So I wrote it, sent it. Uh, the brothers liked it. They sent it back. We edited it again. And then they showed me Ray Anthony. Hi, that brother is talented. the truth. And then Very I found talented. out he was teased me. We were talking over uh, Twitter one time and he told me he is the, I think he's the only professional comic book artist from Compton, California, from the CPT. So there's this brother up there in Compton drawing comics like nobody's business. So to have him there and seeing his work and calling him and saying, yo, what do you need? And then seeing it for the first time and just saying, yo, this is amazing. I mean, his Moon Girl comic is, the artwork in that is fantastic. He's now one of my my new favorite artists. He's so good. So I got to ask, what is the number one thing you learned from writing your first comic? Um, One, it's it's not easier than I thought, but it was easier than I thought. And the one thing I learned is it's addicting. I wrote it and I was like, oh, God, I I, want to do this again. I I really want to do this again. And also I, I learned that you can say less and still get your point across. That's what I love about comic books. You can say less because in a book you say all the stuff and comic say just just get your point across. Yeah. Write your story and get the hell out of the way because the artists it's the artists are gonna make it look great. Yeah. You know, it's it's something I learned in theater. It's a symbiotic relationship. The crew turn on the lights, turn on the mics, and move the set and get the curtain up. The actors are there. But if you don't have the crew, y'all a bunch of actors acting behind a curtain. Mm-hmm. The artwork is what makes comic books so amazing. So I wrote a story and I got the hell out of the way and let let Ray do his thing. And I walked out. I was like, Ray Anthony, you are a beast, dude. It's, it's awesome. Great. It's amazing. All right. So quick fire questions. Sure. If you could have any superpower, what would it be? My usual answer is telekinesis and um, telepathy. But the truth of the matter, I would love super speed. Mm. I, hate, I hate being late. I hate being late. Or being a portal, because then I wouldn't have to get into a car. I would just open up a portal and be at home. Then I can also go back to Disney World and still be back home. So either speed or being able to create portals. We'll just get you a cloak. It'll be great. Thank you. (laughs) What is your superpower? Oh, positivity. Yeah, I could see that. First comic book. Ooh. Secret Wars number one. What does your playlist look like? Because I've seen your Twitter and <laughs> you you give a lot of '90s love. My my playlist is weird. My playlist goes from her to Luther Vandross 
to, as my wife likes to say, my white card list of Journey, Chicago, Peter Cetera, um, uh, Sting, and Peter Gabriel to Steve Winwood, all the way back to Stevie Wonder, to The Temptations, who are my favorite group of all time, to Jodeci, to ACDC, to um, my, my playlist. And then all of a sudden, then all of a sudden, out of the mil- the terrible thing is going from um, ACDC to Shirley Caesar. That, that see, it's, it's a, it shouldn't happen. And I, I, it, it got me one time and I was like, I need to switch this list up. Cause I went from, you know, you know, she shook me all night long to never. I was like, ooh, wrong thing, wrong thing. Jesus, no, mm, let's just move this so that I don't get in trouble. Don't want to, you know. So my playlist is, and, 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 you know, and right after that, you know, all these musicals show up. So, I mean, it's got everything. And also, one of my favorite singers is Bobby McFerrin. And I just happen to be friends with, I happen to be friends with his son, Javon McFerrin, who's an amazing performer who was Hamilton for a little while. Mm-hmm. But I could listen to Bobby all day. So my playlist is really eclectic. It's weird. Sounds great. Very nerdy. And also, let's not forget the Disneyland soundtrack that I have where the country bear jamboree just happens to fall in. Go to karaoke song. Ooh, uh, Papa Was a Rolling Stone and also Superstition and probably um, uh, by the stylistics, um, Stone Cold in Love With You. Last question. What does storytelling mean to you? Storytelling is my favorite thing. To be able to once upon a time and then just go. Whether it's telling a story that you know, that's already out there, or whether you're making it up as you go along. One of my favorite things to do to bug my wife is to make up stories. There's a story that she will never let me tell, and I, and I never tell it because it's all, it will always be funny in our relationship. It's the mountain goat story. We saw a, we saw a um, we had to go, we had to leave. And there was some nature channel on because I love the nature channel and stuff, you know. And there was a mountain goat. And all the guy said was, the mountain goat got to. And then we, she turned off the TV. And, of course, I said, the mountain goat decided that he wanted to go. She goes, no mountain goat story. No mountain goat story. Stop it. <laughs> so for 17 years, I have told little bits and pieces of the mountain goat story <laughs> but never finished it because she always said, I told her, I said, I'm going to tell this at an award show one day. I'm going to win an award. And I'm going to tell it. And she said, if you do, I'm going to walk up on stage and stop you. But there's something about telling a story. If you tell a story, you can take people places. Telling a story is, I think, one of the most powerful things you can do. And it is my favorite thing to do. And I think besides being liked, telling a good story is all I've ever wanted to do. Oh, this was amazing. Thank you very much. Do you know how how juiced I was when I found that? I I was literally watching that on... The ferry boat on the way home. But uh, also, let's have this conversation about how I feel this morning. Oh, my God. I my, swear. My friends are like, why don't you like that? One of my favorite things about this job is being able to sit down with storytellers who truly, utterly, and completely are in love with the ability to tell a good story. And, and that that is exactly who... James Monroe Iglehart is. Thank you so much, James, for coming in and speaking to us. And I am so excited for everyone to check out James's story in Marvel Comics Presents. It came out March 27th. You can check it out now in your local comic book store or anywhere you get your digital comics. That's it for this week. We'll see you next time. <laughs>